for 30 plus years. I've seen every type of child grow up. Instead of giving me what I wanted, she gave me what I needed, which was truth. Don't let emotions win. Let truth win. Do your very best, and you should have a lot of fun while you do it. And the better you get at something, the more fun you're going to have at something. You moms and dads are wired with everything you need to be a parent to a great kid. Well, friends, welcome to Parenting Great Kids. This is episode number 154, and I am your host, Dr. Meg Meeker. We have a great show for you today. We're going to be talking about your kids in the COVID vaccine. This has been a real complicated concern for parents, lots and lots of questions. So I think you're really going to love this podcast. If you like what you hear on any of these podcasts, please join our private community, Parenting Great Kids Community. You can find all about it on my website. I answer questions, I post new courses, and do some live events. So anyway, check it out. It's really a lot of fun. ParentingGreatKids.com. Well, joining me today on the podcast is Dr. Marty McCary. Aside from being one of the most renowned experts on vaccines, he is the recipient of the 2020 Business Book of the Year Award for the price we pay. Have to read it. It's fabulous. He's a professor at Johns Hopkins University School of Medicine and Johns Hopkins Carey School. He's published over 250 scientific articles on the redesign of healthcare, medical innovation, and health equity. Dr. McCary has been elected to the National Academy of Medicine and is editor-in-chief of MedPage Today. He's written for the Washington Post, Wall Street Journal, New York Times, and USA Today. And I am lucky to get to interview Dr. McCary right now. Well, Dr. Marty McCary, thank you so much for joining me today and to talk about this really important topic. Great to be with you, Meg. You know, as I said it when we were off air, that you're one of the busiest men I know in the United States of America. But as an intellectual, I, I so respect what you have to say, um, not just in general, but in the medical field, and particularly when it comes to vaccinations, because we're going to be talking about vaccinations in kids today. And this is a, a real tough subject for a lot of parents. It's very different than vaccines in adults because when it comes to parents, they're overprotective. And parents are very split about whether or not to vaccinate their kids. So talk to me about your expertise when it comes to kids and vaccines and what your general recommendations are as a physician. Sure. So what I often tell people is that, look, the vaccines have been enormously mishandled by the government. If you look at the processes by which they've pushed out the vaccines, some of the activity that's gone on behind the scenes that we're aware of, the way they've downplayed vaccine complications, it's very easy to look at that and to say, you know what, I don't want to deal with this. This I don't trust it. Um, I don't want to get vaccinated. But what I tell folks is that even though the government has mishandled the entire strategy around vaccines, it is still effective in downgrading what would otherwise be a severe illness or a life-threatening illness to a mild infection. It doesn't mean they don't work if you get a mild infection or you get or you catch Omicron. It, they are very effective at downgrading illness. Mm -hmm. So with children, the benefit goes down because they're barely at risk of severe illness mm -hmm. when they're young and healthy. Mm -hmm. When they have a comorbidity, 
those are the folks that are showing up in the hospital. Those are the cases of the inflammatory syndrome, those who end up in the ICU, have trouble breathing, which, as you know, Meg, from your work, that's one of the hardest things as a doctor to watch, somebody mm -hmm. who has trouble breathing. Terrible. So, so we see people come in with regrets. So with children with a comorbid condition, I strongly encourage them to get vaccinated, but not three or four weeks apart. You space them out three months apart. Mm -hmm. And for some pediatricians, they might say, you know what, they're healthy, we might do one dose, or they're ultra low risk. And I understand some, some people have concerns about myocarditis in young men, we might forego it. And I think those are reasonable strategies. You know, pediatricians are torn. And I will tell you at the beginning of the vaccination for kids, I was torn because for my patients, I like to see something out there for a while before I recommend it. I was yeah. that way with Gardasil. Let's let other people see how they do. And then if they're doing well. However, I sort of dialed back on that fairly quickly because I, from what I've seen and read, it is safe. Um, but again, we're, you know, kids by and large do really well. And I'm from the old school where before we had chicken pox vaccines, we used to have chicken pox parties <laughs> and we would take our little kids over to somebody's home where there was another child with chicken pox and we just let them get sick. Yeah. And then we knew they had lifetime immunity. And now with the vaccine, it's a different story. And I know this would be a really hard thing to say, and I'm just going to throw it out there because I wouldn't do it. But there's part of me that wonders, should we just with a certain group of kids take their masks off, let them get sick and be done with it? Now, I'm, you know, probably my social media gets shut down from saying that I'm not saying we should do it. But it is so mild in so many kids that it, it, it's nice for them to just kind of get it and be over with it, even though they can get secondarily infected. Do you get nervous about kids getting COVID? You know, a subgroup of children, yes. One thing that's clear is that with chicken pox, after you've had it, the CDC tells you you don't need the chicken pox vaccine, but they ignore natural immunity from COVID because it doesn't fit the political agenda, which is vaccinate every single human being with two feet. It's not medically precise. It's not medically appropriate. And by the way, the government has ruined many lives by not recognizing the fact that they already have immunity from prior infection. Ironically, people have circulating antibodies that neutralize the virus, but they are antibodies the government does not recognize. So this has been the greatest failure of our medical establishment and the, and the government physicians leading us. If the child has had COVID in the past, they don't need to be vaccinated. They can do a dose, and some pediatricians might suggest that. I, I do for kids who are high risk but you don't have to. We, you, we have this paternalism in public health that we need to get away from because we should be quantifying those risks and those risks start off very low. They do. They really do. And yet, even as you read through the CDC's guidelines in this, there's a clear bias there, a very clear bias. And it always starts off with, you know, you really need to vaccinate your child. They're very safe. Um, you know, COVID is really bad. And yet when you really go back and you look at the mortality from COVID in children, it's extremely low, you know, like 0.02 
0.2% or 0.01%, which is really tiny. And those are kids, Meg, real quick, those are kids with a comorbid condition. Those are the kids showing up in the ICU. So it's very different. A child with obesity is very different risk profile. And so we're using these one-size-fits-all strategies in children when we need to recognize for a young, healthy kid, the risk of dying of COVID is about zero. And the reason I say that is Germany just did a big population study looking at kids 5 through 17, not a single death in 15 months, the first 15 months of the pandemic, when kids were not even vaccinated. Mm-hmm. Now you add you know, population immunity and vaccination to some of that. So my biggest fear is the way they've pushed through these boosters in young kids. Specifically, my fear is in young men, because boys and young men are at risk of myocarditis at a rate of one in 1,800. Mm-hmm. And to me, that's high. A one that in is 1,800 high. is yeah. high. Mm-hmm. And particularly, our job as physicians is not to make sure most people don't get sick. It's to make sure that that we do the best we can, that nobody would have a problem because we're the ones who end up treating those kids with myocarditis. Yeah. And it, it's it's very unnerving. And so when they say, yeah, the risk is really low, but if it's your kid who gets it, it doesn't matter what the risk is. And that's really serious stuff. And that's why I get a little bit nervous because I think the CDC and other organizations sort of downplay it a little bit. I would like to hear your take on something I've thought about and I've never heard anybody talk about. It's the ethics of giving a vaccination to a person, not for themselves, but for other people. And a lot of this is getting a vaccination is something you need to do for your country um, so that you don't get other people sick. Um, There is no other vaccination that we use like that. Every vaccination we give is for the patient. There is no other vaccination that we give them to help other people. And I don't know if that's ethical. What do you think? Yeah, I do not think it's ethical for us to force children to do things because adults won't do them. And if you, in the United States, every adult has had the opportunity to protect themselves with a vaccine. And if they have not, they do so at their own individual risk to subject children to things simply because, you know, we are worried that an immunized teacher could get the infection. That's not right. We've never acted like that before. But children, as you know, are defenseless. And one of the reasons I love pediatricians like yourself, Meg, is that it's intrinsic. It's part of the culture to say, we have to be their voice. Right now, they don't have a voice. They don't. Look at what's happening in schools. They don't have a voice right now. Mm -hmm. Yeah, you're absolutely right. And I think, again, pediatricians are kind of split. Even the pediatricians in our practice, we have eight. You know, some people are just adamant about giving these kids. I'm much more conservative. And I can't tell you, it's anecdotal, but I can't tell you how many kids I've had in my practice where they've had a cold, they've had an earache, they're having an asthma attack, whatever. And I go, wow, I don't need to test them. Why test them? But I test them because of the family. And sure enough, they're positive. But, you know, otherwise, they're just a normal kid with a normal otitis and, a, you know, a normal cold. But that goes all into the data. But, you know, but that's the thing. I am not afraid of COVID infections in my patient population. Now, I have read, and you can tell me if this is right, is that the incidence of myocarditis in teenage boys is higher with the infection than with the immunization. Is that true? It's no longer true. That was a hypothesis. 
And now a, an important study was just published in Nature Medicine, one of our top journals, showing the opposite is true. And by the way, with Moderna, it's much higher with Moderna than it is from the regular infection. So that's why Europe basically tells folks, don't get Moderna if you're under 30. A lot of countries in Europe restrict Moderna in people under 30. There's so much stuff about COVID, man, we don't hear about in the United oh, States. Yeah. Like the WHO says, don't wear a mask in primary school. And they're against boosters. The WHO has a statement against boosters. The European CDC tells folks not to get the Moderna vaccine if they're young. I mean, there's all kinds of stuff we don't hear about. What are they doing with kids? Five-year-olds, eight-year-olds. Are they immunizing in Europe? Well, Big Pharma has a lot of influence there, just like it does in the United States. And they're starting to. Initially, they were smart enough to realize we need to immunize those vulnerable. And with kids, they were focusing on those at-risk kids. But now um, it's mixed, but we are seeing child immunizations there. And for some kids, it's good if the child and mom have a concern or they're around someone someone vulnerable. It may make sense. But the myth that somehow vaccination would stop the transmission, that is a doctrine that our public health officials are holding on to, even though it's been proven wrong. Exactly. Just like this is a pandemic of the unvaccinated. No, you cannot blame them at this point for transmission that occurs at an equal peak frequency of viral shedding among vaccinated and unvaccinated. Yeah. And I'm glad you brought that up because that is a huge myth that once you're vaccinated, you're fine. You're not going to do anything to anybody. And you know that that just isn't true. Let's talk about masks for a minute. I'm very disturbed because we've got all the, we've got three, four, five-year-old kids in preschool running around with masks. I see a lot of fear in young kids. Nobody talks about that. These, these little kids who are walking around with masks and they're afraid, not for themselves, they're afraid mom or dad or some adult is going to die. And the mask reminds them something bad is going on. And then, of course, the masks and the isolation and the idea that you're sort of a leper amongst your friends when you're in high school. I've seen enormous psychological toll on little kids and um, older kids. And a lot of it has to do with the masks. Do masks work? Well, if we recommended masks to try to reduce transmission, we recommended the wrong mask. Cloth masks will do essentially nothing. And, you know, I get into these conversations all the time with people publicly and they'll They'll sort of grandstand and posture how tougher they are on COVID than the next person trying to one-up the other. Politicians do this all the time. They're going to be tough and enforcing masks. Well, what's the size of an aerosolized virus? It's about three to five uh, microns. What's mm -hmm. the pore size in a mask? It's 20 to 25 microns. So it's, it's just freely passing back and forth. Now, there was a cluster randomized controlled trial run by Stanford that showed that the cloth masks don't work. And the surgical masks can reduce transmission by 11%. But that was with prior variants. With Omicron, it's very difficult to stop this. It is at large. It's everywhere. Think of it in terms of a bad cold season. If I mm -hmm. told a kid in, in the office, this is going to be a bad cold season, you will get the cold. Mm -hmm. Nobody would freak out. We wouldn't no. shut schools down and no. have kids cover their faces for two years. You know, you're right. And I think that we're inflicting so much fear into our kids. And again, I've seen this explosion of anxiety and depression over the past year and a half 
in kids 12 to 20. It really concerns me. And, you know, with the virtual learning is a joke. Kids don't learn virtually. Um, They just hate it. And then, of course, they feel very isolated and they can't be with their friends. And it's a bigger joke on the poor. That's the that's the exactly. Yeah, exactly. Because you've got a lot of people home, maybe mom or dad aren't around. And yeah, it's just kind of a nightmare. Parents, I hope you're enjoying this conversation with Dr. Marty McCary. We need to take a quick break, but don't go anywhere. We'll be right back with more of this conversation. Welcome back to Parenting Great Kids. My guest is Dr. Marty McCary. Why is there so much division and polarization? Is it really a political thing or is it a medical thing? So my research team did a study of where the NIH spent their money uh, in 2020, the year the pandemic hit us. And they spent only 5% of their whole budget on COVID research. And most of that funding was at the very end of the year. It took them on average five months to give a research team funds after they got the grant awarded. So what you had was a novel pathogen hit this country and everyone was asking us as physicians, you and I, Megan, everyone, how does it spread? Do masks work? When are you most contagious? How long do I need to quarantine for? We did not have any research to answer those questions. We had a void and guess what filled that vacuum? political opinions, because the NIH and Dr. Fauci and Dr. Collins were unable to pivot, you know, 50 bucks to do a basic clinical bedside research study. They have $42 billion in funding. They did not fund any of that research. So political opinions fill that vacuum early. And then remember, most doctors are trying to get NIH funding from Dr. Mm -hmm. Fauci and the NIH. That's the currency of academics. So it's very hard to speak up. And you get folks like Jay Bhattacharya and Martin Kaldorf and others say, hey, wait a minute, we got to protect the vulnerable and keep the kids in school. And you saw that email from the head of the NIH, unbelievable, calling for a, a dramatic takedown, a dev, quote unquote, devastating takedown of these doctors. Mm. <laughs> so yeah. we have lost public forum discussion in science. And I think that's how it ended up so political. Well, the sad thing is science is never going to be the same word anymore, because when a lot of things were going on, we had social science, we had opinions and this kind of thing. But as physicians, we could always rely on good data. One of the things we were taught in medical school is how do you read a good study? How do you figure out if it's good or not? That's all gone. And now with people saying, trust the science, trust the science, you've got people on both sides saying that and the public's going, well, I don't, I don't really trust anything. And, you know, I, I worry about that because people are going to be skeptical about doctors, which they already are, which is a kind of a new phenomenon in the past 10 or 15 years. They sort of look at us as the enemy. Like we want to immunize because we're going to make a ton of money, which isn't true. We actually lose money. And I got an email from the American Academy of Pediatrics. You probably did too in the Board of Internal Medicine several months ago that said, if you speak negatively or circulate false information about the vaccinations, you can have your license pulled. Yeah. That's unbelievable. There, there has been no other issue ever in medicine where we've had threats as physicians that 
you better do this or else. I mean, this is just really disturbing. To, I just gasped when I when I read that. Um, and, and that's how that's how far politics infiltrates this issue. I believe that COVID, like you said, COVID's going to hit everybody. I mean, everybody's going to be exposed one or two or three or four times. It's just the way it is. Yeah. And there isn't a whole lot we can do about it. Do you feel we're going to come to a point, hopefully in the next year, if we're going to, where we can sort of return to normal, take masks off everybody, let everybody go to parties and kids do whatever they want? Or have we hit a new norm here? Well, First of all, I agree. Everyone will be exposed to it or has been already. Most or many are asymptomatic, so they may not even realize it. But uh, you cannot outrun this lion when it's everywhere. And look, if you've got a kidney transplant and you're immunosuppressed and are on chemotherapy and you're 98 years old, yeah, maybe that person needs an additional vaccine dose or needs to be careful. But we've got to get away from the CDC adjudicating on every aspect of American life. By the way, the CDC recommends nobody eats red meat medium rare. Mm -hmm. We can't have them adjudicating on every aspect of American life. And then right now people are freaking out because they're shifting their position. I'm thinking, why are we even depending on this organization to tell us what we can and can't do? So we've got to get back to common sense, which means very simply, if you think you've been exposed, wear a mask or be careful, If well, a quality mask. If you are around someone vulnerable, stay your distance or wait till the outbreak is over. And if you are sick, stay home. That's it. I mean, that's it. That, those are some basic principles that can be modified. But we've got to get away from this. You know, I have to get three tests because I've been in quarantine five days. And then, you know, this is complete. People are, are pushing back and you're seeing it regionally saying we, we need our lives back. This is mm -hmm. two years and, and we're tired of all of it. Yeah. Well, and I think the risks of all of this to kids you know, and quarantining and masking and this kind of thing are far outweigh the benefits from what I see. And I think it's a huge issue. Do you think that schools should mandate masks or not? No, I don't. And here's why. Brown University study just published this, this report. I'm going to read it. We find that children born during the pandemic have significantly reduced verbal, motor, and overall cognitive performance compared to children born pre-pandemic. Moreover, we find that males and children in lower socioeconomic families have been most affected. Mm -hmm. So what you have are a bunch of people in their second homes in the Hamptons or in Santa Barbara County mandating policies for children in inner city Detroit and Baltimore and Chicago, and they are completely out of touch. These kids need to live their lives and restore the human connection. Kids were always fine with COVID. Healthy kids completely fine with no mortalities on record that have been documented. And kids who are at risk can get vaccinated. We have got to move on. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I, I wholeheartedly agree with you. Because those of us who are seeing a lot of these kids, you know, the, the poor kids and the middle income and then the high end, it, it's, it's a totally different story. And unfortunately, I think a lot of people who are living in the Hamptons or who are working at University of Michigan, 
but their friends are wealthy physicians as well, and they live in a different world, are the ones who are trying to make people who disagree with them look stupid. And I don't think that's right. It's sort of, we know best, and I, you know these people, we know best, and if you disagree with us, you're less than, you're, you're um, it, you know, and even insurance companies will do that. For instance, as a pediatrician, if the kids in my practice aren't immunized on time, I get dinged financially. However, we will see some people who don't want to immunize because we figure out we want to work with them. We want to talk with them. So they're immunized later. So there really is this. And then we're we're um, evaluated as being not a very good physician. So there's this whole mindset that if you disagree with how things are being done, then you're a bad person and a dumb person. And I don't, I just want to say that because I want people who disagree with the full on everybody needs to be vaccinated to push back because it doesn't mean you don't know what you're talking about. That's right. And people out there are hungry for honesty from public health officials, from doctors. They just want someone to be honest. Mm -hmm. They want someone to break down the data and explain the risks where they're quantified, not just you have to and you must. And there's so much of this group think in medicine that you're describing. We've seen it so commonly burn us as a country. The idea that this was surface transmissions, you know, this was spread by surface transmission. All the geniuses out there, all the so-called experts were out there parading around surface transmission and pour 50 gallons of alcohol in your grocery bag. And then the barbaric practice of not allowing people to visit their loved one to say oh, goodbye oh. as they're dying. I mean, that is a human rights violation. And all these geniuses were complicit, all of them. And then the boosters in young, healthy people, actually a lot of doctors, including the FDA's own experts, have said, look, we have significant concerns about boosters in young, healthy children. And guess what the FDA did? They said, thank you very much. We're going to officially authorize this but we're not going to convene our experts and put this up for a vote like we do every other authorization. That's corrupt. That's not corrupt. right. It's unethical. And that's what's happening behind the scenes. Mm -hmm. People are hungry for honesty right now. And a lot of these geniuses, I tell them, you know, let's talk. Give me a call. They won't talk to me. Why? Because I can go toe to toe with anyone. I've published 300 scientific articles. I'm a one of the youngest folks at Johns Hopkins to be a tenured professor. I've been in the School of Public Health for 16 years. I graduated from the Harvard School of Public Health, where I studied epidemiology. I'm a member of the National Academy of Medicine. Let's have an honest data conversation. They won't talk to me. Why won't they talk? Because you could out-argue them and you could prove your point and they can't. And I think that's really important because even somebody like Fauci, doesn't want to be challenged. And I think that is a big red flag to anybody to ask, does he really know what he's talking about? Because anybody worth their salt who can stand on medical evidence would say, sure, just talk to me, ask me questions, and, I, and I'll tell you. Um, so are you finding that the majority of physicians who are speaking out on a national level, who are very highly esteemed, are more on the mandated vaccination recommendations versus the non? I mean, I probably know the answer to that, but. 
Well, so the doctors we hear from, the ones I call the political doctors, the ones mm -hmm. who either work for the government or they have had a politically appointed job in the government and they're part of that revolving door. Those are the doctors on TV, the vast majority of them. Those are the so-called self-appointed experts. Those are the ones who decided it was surface transmission and all this stuff. So those guys function in the group think. And then you have a large segment of doctors who are saying, we want to be reasonable and look at this data and we've got to explain it. Now, with the mandates, I think a lot of doctors, at least the ones I talk to, say, look, Marty, we want adults to get vaccinated. They're, they're the ones really at risk of COVID. Adults who have not had the infection before and they don't have natural immunity, we want them to get, we want to encourage vaccination not three or f and four weeks apart. You space them out three months apart for better immunity, like all the other vaccines out there. But it's harder when the government's pushing mandates. Mm -hmm. So it's counterproductive. And what mm -hmm. we're doing is we're also destroying lives. We're ruining careers. I mean, soldiers, dishonorably discharged, teachers, nurses. We can't get chemotherapy for some patients now because of the supply chain problems. Yeah, it's it's a very, very serious issue. And I'm so grateful to have you on to sort of peel back the layers um, that are covering up all of what's going on in vaccinations. So we only have a minute left. If you're a single mom out there and you've got three kids and you're living in the suburbs of some city, middle income, lower middle income, what would you do with your kids, your eight-year-old 12-year-old, 17-year-olds when it comes to vaccinations? So if the kid has a special medical condition or comorbidity, including obesity, I would get them vaccinated, but space out the vaccine doses. If mm -hmm. the child is healthy, there is a case for vaccination, but not for the second dose in young men. And by the way, the case is not a compelling case for young, healthy people. It's an individual choice. Yeah. And if the child has natural immunity, you don't need vaccination, period. Yeah, the CDC will tell you you do, but <laughs> they, you don't. I mean, ironically, if you've had chicken pox, they tell you you don't need the chicken pox vaccine because of natural immunity. Mm -hmm. But when it comes to this highly stigmatized political virus, COVID, somehow we're treating it like the old days of HIV prejudice. Oh, there's a case in the school. I'm not going to let my child go because they could die of HIV. It's absurd. It's non-scientific. Yeah, that's a wonderful point. I never thought about that. Well, Marty, you're a genius. <laughs> I, wish, I wish you would take over Fauci's job. Can you do that? Well, I think I, if he retired, let's just say I, I would be devastated, but I would recover very quickly. <laughs> Yeah. Well, thank you for all you do. Thank you for your wisdom and your common sense. And again, I, I just so respect um, your voice and your voice's counter to what a lot of uh, other physicians out there are saying. But I'm really grateful that you've got your sleeves rolled up. And I would strongly encourage any of the, the liberal physicians who don't want to talk to you to be tough enough to get into a debate with you and we can air it on national television. <laughs> Thanks, Marty, for joining me today. Good to be with you, Meg. Well, what a wonderful and powerful interview we've had today with Dr. Marty McCary. Let's go over my points to ponder. One, Make decisions about vaccinations 
thoughtfully. Because of the firestorm of differing opinions around vaccinations, many parents make decisions about vaccinations from their emotions and peer pressure rather than from thinking through what they believe is best for their child. While you don't want to rush into things, you also want to weigh the benefits and the risks. So talk to your pediatrician about it and then make your decision after having thought things through very carefully. Two, make sure you get information from credible sources. Like any other medical treatment, rumors are rampant on the internet. Don't believe comments that are one-off. Be sure to consider the source of the information. And it should always be from a medically reliable source like WebMD, the CDC, the NIH, or a hospital website like Johns Hopkins University School of Medicine. Three, once you make the decision to vaccinate or not vaccinate, don't talk about it. You know, telling friends what you decided will often lead to an argument. Don't argue with people. It goes nowhere good. Do what you feel is right and don't feel you need to defend your decision to anyone. I want to thank my guest, Dr. Marty McCary, for joining me on the show today. To find out more about Marty, go to martymd.com. That's M-A-R-T-Y-M-D.com. Be sure to follow him on Facebook and Twitter. Just search for Dr. Marty McCary in your internet browser. Now let's recap my three points to ponder. One, make decisions about vaccinations thoughtfully. Two, make sure you get information from credible sources. And three, once you make the decision to vaccinate or not vaccination, don't talk about it. And remember, check out my website, meekerparenting.com, and check out my new private community, Parenting Great Kids. You will love it. So until next time, parents, always remember, great kids are raised, not born. Hey, this is Mike, producer of Dr. Meeker's Parenting Great Kids podcast. At the end of our podcast, do you wonder, okay, how do I apply this to my life, to my kids? Dr. Meg keeps these discussions going in our brand new Parenting Great Kids community. She gives you answers to issues and clear steps to take to resolve them. Imagine having the ability to ask Dr. Meeker a question about your issues with your kids. Well, now you can. We've created a new Parenting Great Kids community where Dr. Meg answers readers' questions, posts videos on topics, adds a new parenting course monthly, and goes live with you once a month. Don't wrestle with your problems alone. Let Dr. Meg help you. Join us in the new PGK community. For more information, go to meekerparenting.com and look for the PGK community tabs.